Paul says that what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit doesn't accept these things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind and the, of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the minds of Christ. So Paul says that there's a spirit that helps us understand exactly what it is that God's done for us. Because otherwise, it's it's hard for us to comprehend. We can't get our minds around the amazing thing that God actually did for you and for me. Because in human understanding, it makes no sense. Why? Why would God, who's perfect in all of his ways, who's holy, who's complete... Why would he so love the world who's rejected him, who's broken, who's fallen, that he would send his only son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life? Why? Except that the Spirit reveals to us that though it would be foolishness, for God it is love. How incredible is that? I'm just blown away as we're singing Good, Good Father just what a good father he actually is. Colossians 2 says that when we were dead in our sins, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's good news. That's why we can sing we have a good, good father in every circumstance. No matter what your situation is, no matter whether this is a season when, when, when you light up and are excited or whether this is a season where, where emotionally it's painful and it's difficult in the midst of all of those things, though the world would say it's foolishness, we know the truth that we have a father in heaven who's good, who's faithful, who loves us, who knows us, who literally knew before you did it every foolish and straight thing you would do and say and still chose to create you, still chose to love you, still chose to send his son to pay the price and cancel the legal indebtedness of your behavior and nailed it to the cross for you and for me. So I don't know about you, when I sing Good, Good Father, the picture that I have isn't just of a dad who loves me, but it's literally of someone who saved me from myself. That's incredible. Who loved me so much that he knew the little bitty, bitty bits of me that no one else knows. 
and said, that's my child that I love. I'm canceling. Ooh, that's good, guys. I am canceling the written code against them. I am nailing it to the cross. It's been paid for and paid in full. When it looks at my deadline and in comparison to heaven, it doesn't say that I'm in the red. It doesn't say that I have, I have an outstanding debt because of my behavior. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't do it on my own. But it has already been paid in full. So Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Let's just lift our voices one more time and declare, having received the greatest possible Christmas gift. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. incredibly grateful for God a spiritual explanation that could never make sense in the physical that you so love us that you paid the price for us that we could be in the presence of a perfect living holy God because in your eyes we're not guilty that's foolishness it's lavish it's generous it's God, borderline ridiculous, but it's true because the nature of your full and complete fatherly love demands it. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. We are complete because of what you've done, not what we've done. So we have reason to celebrate. 
we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to just come into a place like this and let you know we love you back. So we thank you. I pray our hearts would be prepared for what you want to do in our lives. And we love you back in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Would you turn to like three people and just tell them Merry Christmas and give them a hug? Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. You can make your way back to your seats. That is a good word. Merry Christmas. No more being under the law. I like that a lot. Um, Okay, so I get the privilege of sharing with you our upcoming events. So here, I was thinking about the Christmas season, and I was thinking about events that happen. We're fairly committed to not bogging everybody down with tons of events, which I'm sure everyone is appreciative for. I'm appreciative for that. Um, But I had this question in my mind. Some people are event people, and some people are not event people. You know, like, you're an event person if you love to be where all the people are, where the action is. You'd go out every night of the week if you could. You're not an event person if you'd probably choose to be at home with, like, a movie and popcorn maybe or something like that. And then there's everyone in the middle. But raise your hand if you're like, I'm totally an event person. I love to be at the events. What? (laughs) Come on, there's got to be more of you. I'm that way. Raise your hand if you're like, give me the movie and popcorn at home any day. Man, that's interesting about our congregation. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Well, here are some events that I know all of you would love to come to. Um, Firstly, for any of the women in here, we have a country Christmas happening this afternoon at 4 p.m. It says you can join the women's ministry team for their annual Christmas party. Bring a $10 or under white elephant gift. Appetizers. There will be appetizers and desserts, carols, and scripture reading. So uh, for any of the women in here, you are welcome to come to a country Christmas this afternoon at 4. Our Freezing Nights ministry is putting on a fish fry fundraiser. That's kind of fun to say. Fish fry. Everyone say fish fry fundraiser. Awesome. You guys did so good. Um, That is happening this Saturday, December 12th at 1230 p.m. Bring a side dish or dessert to share. Here's the key, though. Um, all of the donations that come from this, they're not charging, but there's donations, are going to benefit Freezing Nights, our homeless ministry, which is a really good cause. They also need you to sign up in either the North Foyer or the South Foyer. There's some clipboards. The reason is they just need to know how many fish to prepare and to be here. So I would recommend that everyone comes to that because it would be awesome, but please sign up so they, they know. Again, that's the Saturday Fish Fry Fundraiser to support Freezing Nights and about Freezing Nights. Um, we do it twice in a month, sometimes three times a month here at the church. It's happening tomorrow night, Tuesday mornings, we're still in need of a few more hands to help with the cleanup afterward, vacuuming, disinfecting a few things, putting chairs back. Um, I know they have a few more spots to fill. So the hard part is usually staffing the overnight shifts. We have all that covered. We just need a few more people to help with the cleaning. So if you're like, yeah, I could do that, you can see Patty. Patty, can you just wave? You can see Patty and let her know that you'd love to get signed up for that. And then after service today, we're just going to go ahead and stack. If you have some time, we're going to stack all the chairs in stacks of five. Um, to help us prepare for freezing nights. Lastly, I want to let everyone know we have a candlelight Christmas Eve service coming up on Christmas Eve, December 24th, surprise, surprise, um, from 5 to 6 p.m. We are not doing the, the midnight Christmas this year. I am thrilled about since I have young children. So we will be here from 5 to 6 p.m. There will be child care provided for our, our youngest children around that time, like the one, two, three-year 
uh, ranges in there. And we do have our kids' Christmas program on the 20th. So if you have kids in the uh, kids' program upstairs, they're probably a part of that program, and you can invite family and friends to come. That will be awesome. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and have the ushers come forward. We're going to receive our offering. We receive our offering here as a part of our whole worship experience. I was thinking about God's calling on our lives and how sometimes we just think, man, he's just called me to receive this incredible, gracious gift that he's given me. And um, the thing about that is that would just be a calling to be a passive participant. But what's so cool about God's calling is he graciously lavished his love and his salvation upon us, and then he calls us to partner with him in advancing his kingdom, which that is the part of his call on my life that just makes me come alive, to join with him in what he's doing. So at Celebration Center, we give because we're excited. We believe in the mission, and we're excited to partner with God and to be called to partner with him in his mission. That's awesome. I'm going to pray for the offering, and then we will pass that around. Jesus, we love you very, very much. And thanks for Christmas. Thank you for um, not leaving us in a place of bondage or a place of brokenness or a place of despair. For those of us who feel the weight of some of those things still, God, would you give us a special Christmas gift this year and just bring more freedom into our lives and bring more of your kingdom into our midst. Um, Would you bless this offering and would you show us as a church the kingdom things that you have for us to be a part of in this community? Um, Show us where you're doing those things so we can join you and see really incredible things happen in this community as your kingdom comes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know what's singing with us. Joy to the world
going to read a passage from the book of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. While Mary and Joseph were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were, which were just as they had been told. Thank you, Andrew, for reading the story, and again, Merry Christmas, everyone. So excited to be in our Christmas series talking about the power of hope this Christmas season, but today we're going to open with talking about joy, talking about joy, so joy to the world, and uh, it's interesting, as I was preparing um, and even just memorizing and studying, I was struck by how... uh, I'm really looking forward to next week talking about hope. But this week talking about joy, I, I, I was just torn because I'm not always joyful. And I started struggling with this idea that the scriptures time and time again draw us to a place of joy. And I thought, man, I am disobedient when it comes to joy, I think, because I can't figure out how to do what the word of God calls me to do. And so I was wrestling with this, and I started thinking about Christmas, and and I was thinking about how at the holiday time, this season of the year, we always say things like, like it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I began thinking about what were the most wonderful Christmas seasons I can remember. I remember being really little, and we used to do Christmas at my grandparents' house. And, uh, and the Puerto Ricans would show up, and there was so many. We had this little, like, 1,200-square-foot house, and there was, like, 70 of us there. It was crazy. I remember it's California, so we're out in the front and the back, or we're just hanging on the side of the roof. I mean, we're everywhere, right? We've just multiplied like crazy in this little house. And, uh, and there's so many of us there. And I lived there until I was uh, almost nine. And so that was home for me with my, with my grandparents. And, and I remember the amazing wonder at this tree that was piled with gifts for like 40 little kids. 
and there were so many, and everyone got a gift. There were always something small, but there were so many. So there was like hundreds of gifts just towering under this tree. And it was so fun to just have this whole room of, of gifts. And then I remember one of my first favorite Christmas memories. I was probably about seven. And what would always happen is someone among the cousins or uncles would go missing right around the end of the night. And all of a sudden, Santa would show up, right, in a suit. And it would take him like a half hour to pass out all of the gifts. He would sit there and pass out all the gifts, and he'd call out a name, you know, Jamie, and then they'd come and get their gift. And it was all exciting. I remember I had this tower of gifts, and then Santa would just disappear afterwards, and we'd rip open the gifts, and there'd be mountains of uh, paper, and we'd have wars, and we wouldn't even play with the toys. And it was just, it was crazy, right? That was awesome. But I can remember being about seven years old, give or take, and, uh, and I had this pile of gifts, and it occurred to me that I was sitting by the fireplace, and Santa hadn't come in through the fireplace. I was like, how did he get in the house? And so I'm thinking about it, and I'm watching him like a hawk, right? And, and after all the gifts are out, he walks down the hallway towards my grandmother's room, and I'm like, that's kind of weird. So I get out from underneath my pile of gifts, and I start creeping along the hallway, and I see him and one of my other cousins go into my grandmother's room and then close the door. I'm like, that's really weird. So I kind of go up to the door and I sneak up and I don't hear anything. So I rip open the door. And when I rip open the door, there's my cousin Manuel. And he is standing above a pile of Santa's clothes. And so my eyes must have been like silver dollars, just huge, right? And I'm like, what happened to Santa? And my cousin doesn't miss a beat, looks at me and goes, he was trying to take all the presents, so we jumped him. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, he got away, but we got his clothes. And I was like, okay, that totally makes sense in my family. And that's, I just accepted it and we moved on. And so, so it was pretty amazing. I can remember some amazing, joyful memories with family that were just insane. I remember the best Christmas present I ever got as a kid. If I were to ask you what the best Christmas present you ever got as a kid was, I bet you could think of it pretty, pretty quickly. It would stir. Mine was a Voltron. I don't know if you don't know Voltron. I'm sorry, your childhood wasn't as good as mine. Um, <laughs> Voltron was like a transformer on steroids. He was actually made of metal, and there were five lions that turned into one robot who defended the universe. And, uh, and the cool thing about Voltron is he was like a brick. He was so heavy. So all of your cousins' and friends' toys, he could just smash. It was like a sledgehammer toy that was awesome. And so I remember when I got Voltron, I remember just the the excitement and the happiness that filled my heart. I, I just, I remember those things. But it wasn't too long before Voltron was missing parts and my cousins were using him to play baseball in the backyard and hitting him with the bats and he was all dented and couldn't form Voltron anymore. I remember, and it's weird because, because that happiness that came from getting something that was so amazing to me didn't last for very long. And then I remember later in life looking back at the Christmas season and we had a stretch where for year after year after year after year, we buried a family member. It's like every year. And, and uh, I remember first to go was my cousin Manuel, who was in the Santa suit. He was murdered um, in his home by a stranger. It was just horrific. And, and I remember I came down and did the funeral, and then a couple months later came back home for Christmas. Now, there's a thing. 
when you're the pastor in the family that you may not realize this, but, but whatever you are in the family, you're the guy that always has to do that in the family. So if you're the accountant in the family, you do everybody's taxes, right? If you're, right? If you're the, if you're the electrician in the family, then you get all the calls every time someone's power goes out, right? So as the pastor in the family, I do all the funerals, all the weddings, all the pastoral stuff. I pray for every meal, you know, when we're all together. I'm the guy they're looking for to tell some of the Christmas story. I just have all those responsibilities. And I remember coming home. After Manuel passed away, and I remember how hard that funeral was, and I remember that first Christmas that was just, it was just different. I just wasn't looking forward to it like I always looked forward to it. It was hard to stand there with the family and pray for this meal. And then the following year, uh, my grandmother, the matriarch, got brain cancer in November and died in November. It was just like that. And then December comes, and her birthday is usually then, and, then, and, and we're at Grandma's house. And it's like, all right, Mike, you know, bless the food. It's like, whoa different then the following year my father passes away dies in rehab recovering from drug and alcohol addiction and i'm down there again doing christmas and it's not the same then the following year christine's mom passes away i mean it was just bam 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 and i remember all of a sudden the sense of joy was just different the holiday seasons came around and it was more like a laundry list of pain to sift through to present something that I'm not sure that I really felt on the inside anymore. It was like the ghost of Christmas past, so to speak, right? And you're thinking through those things. And it occurs to me that the holiday season, it could mean a lot of different things for us. And so for me to stand in front of you and just say, hey, you need to have more joy. Whew. I don't know if I can do that. But here's what I can do. I can tell you about joy. And I can tell you the source of joy. And I can tell you that happiness and joy are not the same. And I can tell you that happiness has to do with what happens. Happiness. But joy is something different. I was actually looking uh, up some stuff about happiness, and I saw this funny thing. The longest anyone's ever recorded smiling for is 10 hours and 5 minutes straight. The world record for holding a smile without breaking it. So that's pretty amazing. It was a little girl in uh, uh, Michigan. Her last name was Lester, uh, Minnesota, I'm sorry. And uh, she held it. She broke the record with seven hours before that. She broke the record 10 hours and five minutes of holding a smile and just holding it. I don't know what happened to her after that. I think she passed away. Um, no. <laughs> that was all the happiness she had, right? But happiness is kind of like that smile. It can only last so long. It comes and it goes and it ebbs and it flows. It's like when, when you get something you're really excited about. In my pocket, I have an iPhone 6. Yeah, I was so excited when I first got it because my 4 was like a dinosaur by that point. It was like more effective as a boat anchor than a phone. And when the 6 came out, I was so happy. And then, like, a couple months later, the 6S came out, and I was like, eh. And now I'm stuck with it for, like, forever until it dies, right? That happiness just drifted. Last year, the, the Warriors, I would talk about the Niners, but I can't. But the Warriors <laughs> won a championship. <laughs> the Warriors won a championship. And I was so happy. I was like, yes, we won. And I looked around, there was no one else who cared to, like, high-five. And I was just, like, happy for a day. And then I didn't care anymore. I was like, whatever, i got to order, like, a warrior's hat. And that was exciting. 
But that's what happiness does, right? It surges up for a moment, and then circumstances change, time comes in, and happiness drifts away. But joy is something else. And so this morning, for just a little while, I want to talk with you guys about joy. This passage that Andrew, uh, Pastor Andrew read was amazing. And, and the piece of it that always strikes me is these shepherds are terrified. They're terrified. They're out in the field. They don't have electricity. So for a bright light to appear is a big deal. And here comes this angel. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of what? Great joy. That'll be for who? All the people. You see, what came and what followed was the source of the great joy. The source of the great joy was was more than just now I'm happy about this thing that happened. I'm bringing you good news of great joy. And what were they talking? What was the angel talking about? He's talking about a person. He said, there's a person that's coming. And it's the source of great joy. So we're going to dive into that a little bit today. I was thinking about the power of joy. And, and I'm going to be all over the place in scriptures. You already got um, uh, uh, the Christmas story. But I'm going to take you all over the place. So you can try to hang with me. But I'm, I'm going to bounce around because I just want to attack this throughout the scriptures. What's funny is if I were to ask you what is the shortest verse in the Bible you would all get it right from Bible trivia days, right? It is. Yeah. And what does it say? Yes. And you would all be wrong. Um, <laughs> in English, that would be right. But the Bible wasn't written in English. Uh, trick question, right? The Bible wasn't written in English. The actual shortest verse in the Bible is First Thessalonians 5.16. And it says, rejoice always. Now, we want to do the, you know, the letter count and the number count or whatever to see who's, who's right. But in English, you'd be right. But in, uh, in Greek, in the, in the uh, original language, I think this is 14 characters, and Jesus wept is 16 characters. So the shortest verse in the Bible, now you all will remember, that'll be the only thing you'll remember, is that, that, I, I, that Bible trivia that you've been learning since you were in, uh, uh, you know, Nehi were, uh, was wrong. <laughs> Rejoice always. And I just thought, what a ridiculous request rejoice always get out of here that is not something i'm going to sign up for i'll rejoice sometimes but i'm not going to rejoice always and i started looking at the scriptures how often does it ask us to rejoice time and time and time again this actually goes on well let me see philippians 4 it says it says uh Gosh, I had it, and my brain is too many places. Philippians 4, do you have it up there for me? I didn't give you Philippians 4, 4. Man, my brain is not going to go there. Yeah, praise the Lord always. And again, I help me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There it is. Pretty, pretty easy, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And you know what strikes me about that? Paul, why do you have to tell me this twice? How many times in the scriptures is there a command, and then again, I say that command? When I go through the rest of the Bible, it doesn't say, do not commit murder, and again I say, do not commit murder. One time, giving us a heads up not to commit murder seems to be sufficient for us to get into our minds that we should not commit murder. 
So why does Paul feel the need to let us know, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, again, I say rejoice. Why? Because he knows we're going to struggle with this. He knows it's not going to be intuitive. We're going to forget. We're not going to forget and that I shouldn't murder you. Like that's ingrained. I've heard it. I know it. But that I should rejoice. Man, I'm going to drift away from that sometimes. You know why? Because my circumstances are going to change. And I'm going to tie joy up to my feelings and how I feel is going to impact my joy. I'm going to tie joy up to my situation and how I experience and what I experience is going to connect to my joy. Yeah, here's Paul in Philippians. Where is he at when he's writing that? He's in jail. So here's a man sitting in jail telling his friends, hey, you guys better not forget this. And in case you do, let me remind you one more time. Don't forget this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's insane. Just so you know, that's really hard. Yet here's this Christmas story about a baby coming into the world, about God having a plan so amazing that an angel says, this is good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. Wow. So Christmas somehow connects to my joy. That's insane. I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. And Paul, again, is breaking this down. And he's trying to tell us where joy comes from. He's trying to help us get it. I'm going to take us where Paul says it. I'm going to take us where David says it. I'm going to take us where Jesus says it. And then I'm going to ask if you agree with those guys. Romans chapter 5 says this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, whom, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is crazy. Paul says, because of what God did by justifying us, we now can hope and have joy in the glory of God. So we got to back this up a little bit. What did God do when he justified us? Well, it's what I read earlier in the, uh, the worship time. He literally took our ledger, our sins, our mistakes. Can you imagine there's a funny scene uh, in, in a movie called Bruce Almighty where he sees a file cabinet of everything he's ever done. And when he pulls the drawer, the drawer like shoots across the room. And there's so much stuff that he's done that he could not even imagine there could possibly be that much stuff that God has record of. And can you imagine uh, being God and knowing absolutely everything you've ever done and thought? Every single thing. Not just done, but thought. And weighing those things as the same, as rebellion from him. And he says, here's the ledger. And it just rolls down the hall. And thing after thing after thing. Things you did in the moment and don't even remember anymore. And, and they're there. God was witness and saw. That's what we had on our ledger. And then God sends an angel to some shepherds and says, good news is coming that's going to bring joy. And Jesus shows up. And this amazing thing that Paul's talking about here, justification happens. And Jesus takes 
the written code, everything that was documented about who you are and what you did, all of your mistakes, and he shifts it over to his ledger that was clean, that was open, that was completely, completely free. He shifts it over to you, to him. Is that insane? Now, Paul says, you see, joy is tied to this hope that we understand that not only did he shift our debt from our ledger to his ledger, but then he took his ledger, his clean ledger, his perfect ledger, and he shifts it over to us. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment because Paul says that is where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from circumstances. Joy doesn't come from what you're going through. Joy doesn't get connected to your emotional well-being. Joy comes because you know that the God of the universe wiped your ledger for his. If you didn't catch that, you go back and listen to the podcast because that's the whole story. That's the good news. And so something happens. We receive this clean slate when we say, Jesus, we welcome you into our lives. We repent of our sins. And he makes us new. He, he, he imparts righteousness on us that we could never possibly deserve. And he makes us clean. He brings us to a place where we can reconnect uh, 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 with the living God of the universe. And joy comes into our lives. But then situations happen. And here's the thing. The other scripture says, no person can take your joy. No person can take it. The only way you can lose your joy is giving it away. The only way. That person that cut in front of you in line, they can't take your joy. You can give it to them. You can give it to them, but they can't take it. That person at work who didn't hold up their end of the deal, and now you're frustrated, you got a choice to make. They can't take your joy. They can't take it, but you can give it to them. You can surrender it. You think I'm making that up? That's uh, John 16, 22. You don't have to go there. But Jesus says, no one can take your joy. No one can take it, but you can give it away. So I was thinking about this joy that comes when we receive Christ, when we receive that best Christmas gift. I was thinking about David, and I was thinking about David, thinking about salvation. And I was remembering Psalm 51 one of the most powerful psalms in the whole Bible, when David recognizes that his behavior, his sin, his choices have, have disqualified the joy in his life. He's given it away. If you don't know the story, David, the short version, he sees a woman that he shouldn't have any business staring at, and he lingers, and eventually he calls her to him. Eventually he uh, has a relationship with her. She's married. Because she's married, he's got to deal with that because she gets pregnant. So he sends her husband off to war and makes sure that he passes away and then he claims her for his own. That child is born and it passes away. And in the midst of all of that, he's still figuring things out. And a prophet named Nathan shows up and says, man, what you've done is really wrong. And David breaks. You see, no one could take his joy, but he'd been giving it away. He's lost a child. He's fallen from this positional authority that he's supposed to be in. And he writes this psalm, Psalm 51, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He says, 
He says, I need a new heart, God. I've messed this whole thing up. And you get to verse 12, and he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He says, the joy that comes with your salvation is the only real joy there is. And I'm losing that joy battle. I'm giving it away by my behavior. I'm giving it away by my moral decisions. I've given my joy away. No one could steal my joy, but my choices have left my joy behind. And he says, God, God, would you restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. See, salvation is where our joy comes from. Understanding who Christ is. Understanding God is where our joy comes from. Now, this next verse, we never go this far, but it is profound. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Now, here, let me tell you something. When you don't have joy, you don't have a story to tell anybody. Right? How many of you came to church and the person who invited you... Well, okay, maybe if it was your folks, it might have been a little bit different. But the person who invited you, they didn't have no joy. They're like, yeah. <sighs> Why don't you come to church with me? I, I, you know, everything stinks, but I guess you could come with me if you want to come. They're like, you know, Eeyore from, uh, from Winnie the Pooh, right? Hey, guys, can we just want to maybe come to church with me? And, and there's no joy. There's no story there. There's no testimony. There's no witness. There's nothing. The most powerful witness you got is the joy of the Lord because you understand what Christ did for you. And when you lose that testimony, you have nothing to be attractive to anybody. And here's David saying, I've lost the joy of my salvation. Would you grant me that back? I gave it away. No one can take it, but I gave it away. And would you give me a spirit that will sustain me? Because when that happens, my witness is powerful. Yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I've been through some stuff. Yeah, I lost a child. Yeah, we've suffered some loss. But the joy of the Lord is my strength again. And when people look at people who have been through tough times and they see the joy of the Lord, something doesn't make sense in the natural. And the only explanation is there must be something supernatural here. Tell me what God has done. That's your story. Your story is tied to your joy. So why wouldn't the enemy want you to give that away? It's the power on display of Christ in your life. That joy would come. It's the evidence of him in in your life. He says, I give you joy. You don't believe me? Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is getting ready to leave. I'm in verse 9. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I'm in John 15, verse 11. Catch this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says, listen, you remain in me. You remain in me. I'll remain in you. And joy will be the evidence that I'm there. That's crazy. He says, keep my commands Remain in my love. What's his command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, hold on to that. Keep loving me. 
Keep loving people, and you'll make that the main thing. Joy will be evident in your life, and change will occur in the world. That's amazing. That's amazing that my joy may be in you. So where does our joy come from? It comes from understanding that Jesus, Jesus lives in us. That he canceled the code of our indebtedness. And made us whole. That's stinking good news. Man. Verse 12. says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this. I'm not making that up. To lay down one's life for your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from the Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Uh Uh-oh. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, my Father will give you. This is my command then. Love each other. He says there's going to be fruit in your life. Paul breaks down. Hey, there's fruit that comes into your life. And we just gloss over those things because, you know, they sound nice and they look good on our refrigerator or whatever. Love, joy. We cut through that one. Peace, patience. We go, oh, I struggle with patience. How many of us, you know, let's be honest. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, you know what your big problem is, Mike? You struggle with joy. Like, we don't do that, right? We'll say, oh, I struggle with patience or, you know, I struggle with other stuff. It's hard to say we struggle with joy. But let me ask you this. And you don't have to say it out loud, but someone may elbow you. If someone were, if I were to ask someone about you, and I was to say, hey, Megan, someone who knows you well, right? Don't have to do it. You don't, all right? And I say, I say I just, I'm going to sit here and I just want you to describe Ryan. Just tell me about him. Tell me who he is as a person, right? Don't do it. How long, if I were to talk to someone who knows you well, how long would it take before they got to joy? And they said, you know the thing about Marshall's joy. How long would it take before they got to joy? I'm just wondering. How long would it take? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, it'd be great. And those people are like, they wouldn't say joy. I'd say annoying. But, uh, no, <laughs> right? How long until they got to joy? And here's Jesus saying, my joy will be in you. Joy is connected to the reflection of our salvation. Here's Paul saying, because you've been justified, because you've been reconciled, your ledger, that joy should be there. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit working in your life. Love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Joy. Woo! See, it's hard as we get to the holiday seasons. You're like, Pastor Mike, you still don't understand. Things are hard. Things are tough. My family situation is broken. My finances are broken. My whatever is broken. And I say to you, you know what? If your joy is in those things, then your joy is broken. Let's start there. Because my joy doesn't come from my finances. I love my family, but they're not the source of my joy. I love being alive, but if God took me today, there'd be true joy. I love all of you guys, but if God took one of you, there'd still be joy. 
joy isn't connected to my circumstance. That's not what joy is about. Joy is not about what I'm going through. That's why James, in what would otherwise be insanity, is able to say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He can say, hey, the things that you go through, you can still be connected to joy. They don't disconnect you from joy. The only thing that can take your joy is your decision to give your joy away. That's it. Your decision to align your joy with something other than the understanding of what Christ did for you. It's the only thing that can take your joy away. I was thinking about how often I get upset. It's too often. Right? And you know, I can be angry and still have joy. Right? Jesus got angry. You know, Isaiah describes Jesus at one point as a man of sorrow, acquainted with sorrow. You can... You can experience sorrow and joy at the same time because my circumstance doesn't eliminate my joy. It's okay to experience sorrow. When things happen that are horrible and tough, you know how fake it is for someone like me to grab a microphone and say, don't worry, just keep your joy up. Just be happy even though you're upset, even though you're in tragedy, even though a relationship's exploded, even though health issues happen, even though whatever, just be happy. No, that's not true or authentic or real. Isaiah says he is a man of sorrow. He's talking about Jesus, acquainted with sorrow. It's okay to go through things. Jesus wept. You guys got that right earlier. He wept for Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem, over the city. When he got to the city and they hadn't turned their hearts to him, he was emotional it's okay to be emotional. Some of you are like, I'm just emotional. Good. And be joyful. It's okay. You can be emotional. God designed you that way for some reason. That's okay. You didn't mess up. But when you connect your joy to your circumstance, then those emotions will take and rob your joy. So don't connect it to your circumstance. Joy comes from understanding what Jesus did for us. I'm going to define joy for you now. Joy is what happens when I know there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. Did you hear that? Joy is what happens when I know there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. So my circumstance could get bummed. You could mess me up. I could get robbed. I could have a catastrophic health issue. But if I know that there is nothing between my soul and my Savior, then I can have joy. I could suffer tragedy and loss. I have. I'm sure you have. But if I know that there's nothing between my soul and my Savior, I can have joy. That's why... David says, create in me a clean heart of God. Renew a right spirit within me. Why? He says, get the joy back that happens when I connect my soul to my Savior. Now, I heard it said this way, and I think it's powerful. The most joyless people aren't 
people that don't know the Lord. They're people who know the Lord and have surrendered their joy because they knew what it was to have joy. And they've surrendered it. They've surrendered it through choice, through will, through letting circumstance determine their destiny. They've, they've, they've given it away because of pain. They've given it away because of sin, because of behavior, because of addiction. And they've surrendered it time and time again. Behold, I can bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In Bethlehem, a Savior is born to restore our joy. The kind of joy that only happens when you're in the right relationship with Jesus. I'm going to bring the elders up. And I know it's the first week and not the second week, but we're going to take communion today. And here's why. As we enter into the Christmas season, I just want us to recognize that we already know how this story is going to go. And we can actually have joy even if the circumstances are tough i've had tough christmases i've had tearful christmases i've had emotional christmases i've had broke christmases come on now i've had lonely christmases the only time i've ever had a joyless christmas is because i let that happen be the case i gave that away no one can take your joy you can only give it away Joy is what happens when I know there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. So here's what's going to happen is the, the, the worship team is going to lead us in worship. And I'm, I'm going to pray. And then these guys are going to pass out the communion elements. You're going to get a bread, uh, a wafer, and a cup of juice. And I'm going to ask you to just hold that and worship with us. And then we're going to just do a little reflection on our joy before we take communion. And we're going to remember what it is that we have to be joyful for this season. Amen. God, thanks. Thanks for what you accomplished. You started something amazing when that angel showed up and and declared that good news of great joy was coming. I pray that our hearts, even now, would just be drawn closer to who you are because of what you've done. Amen. John 16:22 Jesus says now is a time of grief but I'll see you again and you'll rejoice and no one can take away your joy Jesus understands that we go through seasons of grief He didn't come into this world to remove all of our stress though some may want you to believe that He didn't come to make you problem free he came to restore the joy that comes from salvation that when we didn't deserve it when we had no way to get into the presence of a perfect and holy God when our imperfection just simply could not coexist with his perfection he took the weight of our sin of our transgressions of our mistakes And he said, I'll carry that. I'll nail that to the cross so that you can be in the presence of God. And whatever it is that's fighting for your joy, it's fighting to get you to side with it, to align your joy, Jesus is better.
He's better. He's better than that sin. He's better than that thing that has a hold of your heart that I would just have joy if I could just climb that one more peg, if I could just get that one more thing, if I could just add this one. He's better than that. He's better than that broken relationship that you're just like, if I could just fix that, knowing him is better. He's better than it feels when you unleash your wrath on someone and you don't maintain it. And you're like, oh, I just had to let that. He's better than that. He's better. It occurs to me that we can be in this moment. And for some of you, this may be the first time in a long time or the first time you've ever really heard it explained that way. And you would say, you know what, Pastor Mike, I've I've never actually done the thing that you're talking about and invited Jesus to be first in my life. So I don't know what it is to experience the joy you're talking about. But I'd like to. It's your lucky day. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. He made it so simple that when earlier I said it confuses the world, it does confuse the world. There's a very simple and tangible thing to say, God... I've been trying to do it my way. I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to try. I'm going to do it your way. I surrender. I want to invite you into my heart. Would you forgive me the way that your word says you'll forgive me? The Bible says when you do that, you're saved. It's pretty amazing. For some of you, today has really just rattled your joy cage. Some of you just needed to hear that question of how long would it take for someone to get to joy if they were describing you. You know it's in the fruit of the Spirit, but you're like, I'm patient. That's enough. I love people more or less. Right? But joy, get out of here. No. Some of you today is just a recalibrating of recognizing that my joy is connected to Jesus. Some of you, like David, you've been waiting to get your joy temperature to a certain level before you affect change in others. All right? It's kind of like, I just got to get me to where I need to get to be. And God's saying, whoo, I didn't do this just so that you'd be full. I, would, I did do it so you'd be full, but that now gets to pour out of you. And you're going to run into people all season long. And the challenge is, can you be an ambassador of joy? Or will you slip back into patterns and behaviors of just surrendering your joy. And today is just going to be about, you know what? No. I'm going to be in Walmart and be joyful. Come on now. Woo! I'm going to miss a Seahawk game and be joyful. Right? I'm going to hang out with that person that I don't want to see, but I got to get them on my schedule and I'm going to bump into them at work or whatever. And I ain't going to let them steal my joy. They're going to dump on me, and I'm going to give them not my joy. I'm going to give them mercy. They're going to dump on me, and I'm not going to give them my joy. I'm going to give them grace. They're going to pull and try to take from me my joy, and I'm not going to give them my joy. I might have to even look them in the eye and say, I think you're trying to steal my joy. But you know what? I love you. I'm going to give them love. 
some of you, that person's already got a plane ticket to come and visit. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, here we go. Here we go. And they might even be your kin. Don't let them have your joy. Jesus is better. Here's what we're going to do. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Not because it's more spiritual to close your eyes, but just for privacy. And if you, I don't know how you couldn't, but if you just today would say, you know what, God, that's me. And I need the joy that comes from you. Maybe you're in the first group and you're just saying, I need to receive joy that I've never received before. Maybe you're in that second group and you've had that joy, but you've surrendered it. Maybe you're in that third group and you would just say, I need to I need to protect and guard it this season. Would you just hold that wafer up? Just as a sign of saying, I, I recognize that it's you and not me. And it's what you did. The scripture tells us that Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. It was physically him demonstrating that he would be with us. So we do this and remember. And God, as these wafers are lifted up, we recognize what you've done. What you've done so that we can have joy. God, for those that would just say, today, today's my day. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to trust you. The Bible says all heaven rejoices when we do that. For those of us who know, who know what it's like to have that joy, but for whatever reason, we've been losing that battle. Like David, we'd say, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Would you restore it? God, I pray the testimony of our lives this holiday season, but beyond that even, would be that there was joy. I pray that folks would look at us and be like, whoa, that doesn't seem normal. I pray that that joy would be contagious and would affect and infect and would demonstrate the supernatural power of your love at work in us. We recognize it and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And then just take the cup. And the cup just reminds us that he paid for it all. That he went to the cross. That he died. He defeated the grave. And he rose again. And there on that cross, blood stained, is where the written code of our life and the account of our life is paid in full. God, thanks for the incredible price. Lord, Christmas reminds us that you initiated the greatest love story in the history of the world, the love of a perfect Father in heaven for his creation. And there was pain that paid for it. But on the other side of that, there was life, an eternal life. And that's what we put our hope in. So we thank you for it. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, you can drink. told you I wasn't excited about talking about joy. It hurts, but it's true. You can have joy. I can have joy. Jesus paid for your joy. Next week, we are going to talk about hope. 
we're going to talk about when Paul says that we have joy in the hope set before us. What hope does, how hope holds us, though we want to drift. And so my prayer is you'd come back and that would be a a powerful component for you guys. Um, A couple of just quick things. Uh, Remember, we're going to stack the chairs afterwards, and then the prayer teams are going to come forward, and they'll be up here in the front. And maybe for you, some things got stirred up, and you need to go a little bit further, and you need to take that to the Lord. The prayer teams will be in the front, and that will be available. Would you stand with me? Would you hug someone? Would you tell them you made it? If you're angry at me, it's okay. Point it at me, but don't lose your joy. (laughs) God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord.